Hailing Frequencies is open, and welcome to Enterprising Individuals, the Star Trek discussion podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about the series, characters, and stories of the Star Trek universe. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban, and getting rid of dangerous artifacts is so much easier in the 24th century than it was in Indiana Jones's day. The entire universe is your shady warehouse. I'm joined on this episode once again by Gooey Fame. Gooey is a musician and a podcaster, the co-host of the Virtual Theater Podcast and the Pro Wrestling Required Viewing Podcast, and my co-host on the Backtracking Podcast. Gooey, welcome back to the show. Hey, uh, permission to come aboard? Permission to come aboard is granted. Yes. Today we'll be, <laughs> we can never get rid of you. <laughs> Today we'll be talking about The Sword of Kalos, the ninth episode of the fourth season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Power tends to corrupt, wrote Lord Acton when he was arguing that political and religious leaders should be judged for their criminal behavior by the same standards as the people they rule. However, a review of the history of civilization that extends even to the year 2020 would reveal that the power of office persistently obviates the responsibility of leaders to their misdeeds. It's just something the human race seems to be saddled with. And the human race, if the history of Star Trek is to be believed, is not alone in that affliction. The history of the Klingon Empire is one of great passion and turmoil, of great devotion to the Klingon tenets of honor and heroism, and the scheming opportunism of filthy patachs. <laughs> to paraphrase Michel de Montaigne, every Klingon has within himself the entire human condition, and even honorable warriors can be tempted by the promise of glory. But we'll talk about that a little later in the show. First, Gooey, uh, it's great to have you back on the program. Yes, thank you. What is, what is new in your world? Um, what is new? Um, I don't know. I've just been uh, watching watching Picard. Been uh, enjoying <laughs> enjoying that lately. I guess I I haven't seen the new episode. Um, a little bit behind, but yeah, I don't know. Just been hanging out watching Star Trek. I know that they, you know, of course they did uh, Klingons pretty heavily in uh, Discovery, so it might be a little while before we see any Klingons on Picard, if we ever do. But I feel like Picard, and we'll talk about this, of course, as we go on today, but Picard is so closely tied to the history and the politics of the Klingon Empire in the 24th century that it would be crazy to not have that show up somehow. You know, they mentioned it in the last episode of Picard. They mentioned that he was the Chadich, you know, for the... uh, the Klingon uh, right of yes, uh, ascension yeah. or whatever it is. But yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's Romulans now, but we got to do Klingons later. Yeah. I, I kind of like it. The, I like the approach of like, you know, I think we've talked about before in various podcasts about how the Romulans that, you know, when they brought them back, it was to various degrees of success sometimes. Yeah. And I, I feel like they're maybe given a, another go at it and they're, they're, you know, doing some interesting stuff with the Romulans. So, yeah, I hope I hope so, uh, and we'll talk uh, we'll talk about that a little later. I don't want to get too deep into that right now. Sure. Uh, something that we often do on our show, backtracking uh, before we compare a Star Trek episode with some form of popular media that inspired it, is to take a look at the latest Trek related news. And I thought we could uh, check out a few recent Trek stories. Oh yes. Uh, just today, I believe, uh, when we're recording this, it was announced that Viacom CBS is preparing to launch a new streaming service that will combine both the Viacom streaming service and CBS All Access into one giant overlord service. Yeah. I didn't even know about the Viacom streaming service, actually. I didn't either, but I just assume that... I I mean, I have a streaming service, don't you? (laughs) Yeah. Who does it these days? Everybody does, yeah. I think it comes with uh, your internet or, you know, phone bill. 
every yeah, month you can right. opt in. I used to have that. My phone company, before we got into all this, uh, like, Netflix and streaming uh, on computers and devices and video game consoles, they offered, you know, oh, you can get free streaming of videos. That was supposed to be, like, a value add to their program. But I think they got rid of that because there are so many. That's all you would do on your phone. That's all some people do on their phones now is just watch streaming content. Yeah, it's like. You got to sweeten it a little bit now. <laughs> There's um, th- so this will combine uh, the CBS All Access, um, Paramount Pictures movies, um, oh. and pretty much all content that falls under the uh, Viacom CBS banner, uh, which is a lot. And this is, of course, in the wake of the Viacom CBS merger that happened uh, recently, and will be finishing up, I believe, at the end of this year or at the end of last year. And it leaves, I think, in doubt the persistence of CBS and Viacom content on current streaming platforms. Um, You can see a lot of Star Trek on Netflix. Um, I used to be able to see Star Trek on Amazon Prime. Um, I think they still have the uh, animated series there. But who knows? It seems likely that they will all just be on CBS All Access in the future. Yeah, I remember it wasn't the animated series leaving Netflix. That was like yeah. the the first domino. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. The first poorly an- animated domino to fall. Um, well, I guess they got to do something because, I mean, it's great watching it for Picard, but I feel like they gotta. They're trying to sweeten the pot a little bit more because <laughs> it's not that exciting to have CBS All Access. I don't think otherwise, but somebody gets their young Sheldon fix from CBS <laughs> All Access. Oh, every time I see that face i'm just like please get this off the screen <laughs> i can't punch a child yeah no um no. <laughs> so uh we'll see and of course we'll report on this show uh, if there's any change there but that's definitely going to uh that'll be another shot fired in this the streaming wars which seem to be ongoing it's kind of it, it is a little unfortunate because i know so like star trek had somewhat of a resurgence at least with like people I knew anecdotally, like because of Netflix, you know. Yeah. And going out of your way is not as enticing, you know. Yeah, and people, you know, people complain about uh, having to, you know, watch ads if you've got like the regular and not the premium subscription or whatever. But CBS All Access is still less than Netflix uh, monthly, uh-huh. and so I think if they play their cards right and they're smart, they won't jack the price up uh, once this um, merger, you know, finishes, or they won't jack it up too far. Because I think once you have all these Paramount Pictures, you've got all these uh, CBS shows, uh, new and old, I mean, I still think it's a pretty good value. And I don't get paid to say that. And I don't want to yeah. pay 15 different streaming fees. But there's a lot of things on there. Like, uh, I already do it now. So if everything moves to CBS, as long as it's still in HD and still looks good, I don't really have a problem with it. Yeah, yeah, and I think those the, the movies, you know, Paramount Pictures will will be nice too. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, some of those, uh, some of those, we might talk about some of those movies today. Um, the Indiana Jones <laughs> sure. movies are all uh, Paramount Pictures movies, of course. Yeah, that's a that's a good deal. I think some people, you know, if you go, oh, I want to watch Indiana Jones, like who doesn't want to at some point, you know, or Transformers. And- Somebody's oh, yeah. getting their Transformers <laughs> fix from CBS All Access. I would watch it if I, you know, I have CBS All Access. Maybe one night I'll just throw on Transformers. Yeah. Uh, I have talked about this before. I don't know if I've talked about it on Backtracking. I think I've talked about it on this show. But I um, 
I planted my uh, my flag uh, earlier on and I said, let's do it. You want to turn Star Trek into a commodity. You want the STU. Uh, bring it on. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's whore this thing out and see what we get. And we're getting it now, and I don't know how I feel. Okay, but I, not much has really changed yet, right? Well, except for 8 million shows that are all going to come out. Damn. And Star Trek I, jewelry and Star Trek perfume that I saw ads for the other day. Oh, boy. Well, I feel like, for me, it's still... I'm, I'm like, you know, right in the middle of, you know, whether I think it's good or not. But uh, I, I feel like I got to see, see the shows before it happens. I mean, I've liked Picard so far, so I feel like... You know, I, I feel like they're capable of doing something all right. Yeah. Um, bring back the Spock helmet, cowards. That's what I have to say. Um, <laughs> the, the funny thing, too, is that a lot of these shows are uh, kind of mini series. Like Picard is a show, but it's 10 episodes, 45 minutes a piece or 44 minutes a piece. It's like mm-hmm. a mini series. You know, it's just like a long movie. And I, I wonder if uh, even Discovery was like 13 episode or they went to like 15 or 16 episodes so i wonder if we'll ever get a um a traditional uh more than 20 episode series of a show or if this is this is just the way it is now yeah i just uh, yeah i don't think that really happens as much in television it doesn't seem young sheldon yeah young sheldon there's that (laughs) um yeah unless you're a sitcom i suppose so yeah i uh i like that um i like that picard's at least kept the episodes to 45 minutes yeah they've all been pretty uh tight they've all been about the same length and uh, we did discuss on discoverage our uh show where we talk about cbs all access shows when you're a guest uh about how this it really does feel like it's just one long pilot like these first three episodes of picard mm-hmm. and uh i remember the advance uh, news about the show we heard that there'd be 10 episodes and that uh, they would be directed in pairs. So the first two episodes would be directed by somebody, in this case, Hanel Culpepper. The next two would be directed by Jonathan Frakes and so on and so forth. And there ended up being three episodes uh, for, of this first sort of block that were all directed by Culpepper. Oh, okay. Does it keep that pattern up or is it still? Then it's well, like I know two, you, two. the next one is Frakes and um, the next one after that is Frakes. Uh, we don't know the title of that one, I don't think. Oh, okay. Uh, so I'm just wondering if they were making the pilot and they thought, Oh, this is okay. No, we got to have more stuff in here. So, oh, okay. What if we expand it? Yeah, or maybe they were like two sixty-minutes uh, episodes, two really long episodes, and they thought, I think it fits better if we go one, two, three, sure. and split them up different. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I've been, for the most part, enjoying Picard so far. Um, I think that there's been, now that the show is kind of rolling and we know where we are for the most part, I hope to see it sort of pick up a little more. Um, there's a couple parts that were like real, uh, I don't want to say this, um, real <laughs> TV righty. You know what oh, I mean? Like it's okay. like we've got to set this up exactly. We have to have, like a great example is there's this uh, evilish character, uh, Lieutenant Rizzo, who mm-hmm. appears in all three of the uh, first three episodes. And all of her scenes are just, are we doing the bad thing? You better get on that bad thing. Oh, I love this bad thing. It's just they just cut back to the evil guys. And they're like, oh, when they they're find scheming. out what this thing is. Yeah, there's not, it doesn't really like develop their characters. It, it doesn't push any decisions you know, to push the pl- uh, plot forward or anything like that. I've, I kind of enjoyed in the second episode, I liked their schemes. I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because it felt it just felt like 
way more. <laughs> it felt like a throwback. It felt kind of simple. Like, yeah, the bad guys are up to some stuff. And <laughs> I don't know. I, I just found it a little charming in a weird way. It reminds me of when they were um, planning the big reveal when Denise Crosby was uh, came back to TNG as Sela. Yes. Yeah. And, that's a great example. And we're talking about Klingon episodes today. So it, it totally applies. Like they... Duras or the or the Duras sisters would go and be you know jerking around doing something, and the last two minutes of the episode would be a silhouette of a of a Klingon <laughs> or, or a Romulan with a bob haircut, and it'd be like, oh, we'll, we'll get him next time. There, yeah, there was something that did feel very. I mean, didn't remind me of the best aspects of Star Trek, but it did. It did just like feel very Trek like to me, and it was you know. It's cool to watch a new show that's, you know, doing some Trek stuff. So <laughs> I, I want to see that Trek stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. Give me that Trek stuff. Hand <laughs> it over. Well, why did you choose this specific episode, The Sword of Kalis, to discuss today? <laughs> well, you you mentioned how I won't let the wharf thing go. <laughs> He's a wharf um, stand. Yeah. I think we, we had talked about, because I had suggested the idea of doing a wharf show or movie, and I, I think I had made a comment where... I said it would make up for the fact that they never did a Deep Space Nine movie. Ah, okay. <laughs> and you could, because you could incorporate his, you know, story from there. And you had made the comment that Worf's story in Deep Space Nine is a little bit more of a, like an encore or something. I can't remember your exact wording, uh-huh. but it was like a, you know, it was just kind of like continuing some elements from TNG, and it, you know, it it's not as iconic as TNG, let's say. Yeah, and I well, I just wanted to test that a little bit, you know. I just, I had I just watched all his episodes on TNG a couple months ago, and I I just wanted to continue that and see, you know, how his story kept going because I've seen these, sure. but I it's been a while, so it was it was sort of a you know a review for Worf, if you sure. Will. Well, I'd be happy if you were our Worf correspondent on the show. <laughs> I'd be happy to be. To clarify, I don't remember making those statements, but it sounds like me. Uh, to clarify those <laughs> statements, uh, I think it's more that, you know, the way that I talked earlier about Picard's pilot, the first three episodes being like the first chapter and let's get to the story. I feel like uh-huh. Worf's time on TNG was like the first two acts of a great story Then he's added to DS9. He farts around for like three seasons <laughs> and then, uh, of course, he gets married. That's important. And then we have a great coda to his his whole story really like the fact that he you know has he feels like an outsider sometimes he is legally an outsider from the Klingon Empire and he is a man of he really believes all this crap Klingons talk about all the time yeah when many of the people that he is helping serving and working with do not at all or just pretend to like he is the righteous man in this situation and seeing him have to make the decisions that he makes near the end of DS9 and be really thrust into this position that he earned and is good in a lot of ways, but is really it was tough to get there. Like, yeah, that's like DS9 is like the great third act of the Wharf story. Okay, okay. I can see how that is. But there's there's a couple seasons in there where he's just kind of like it's kind of like doing the same thing until you get to that moment, maybe. Yeah, and he's like living on the defiant and it's like <laughs> <laughs> Is that just to keep him like off the station so we don't have to do much with him? He's just kind of hanging around for a lot of uh, the later parts of DS9. I like it, though. I, I I like seeing just seeing Worf and I like his, you know, relationship in this series with 
Jed Zia. So it's cool. It's cool to see him. Yeah, and I was really fascinated by this episode. It reminded me of the fact that Trek, even at this point, has such a deep stable of characters to pull from. I mean, Terry Farrell's and Michael Dorn, their names are above the title, but I don't think they're, they're really like the main characters of DS9, um, like no, we get yeah. in some of the other um, spacefaring shows. But yet, you can take both of them, you can take a character who literally was on the original series way, way back in the day, <laughs> yeah. and just throw them in some caves and have a fun episode. Like, it's... Trek, Trek has a lot of strength in that, and I know, like, we go back to CBS All Access Trek, we want, I want new characters, I want to see new things going forward, but, you know, for Picard especially, we're not too far from the TNG era, like, we could bring some of those characters back, we could have some of those characters fit in, I'd like to see them take, here you go, here's a pitch. What's the outrageous Okana up to? Yes. Like, <laughs> you know, Bill Campbell's it. out there still. Yeah, what if this character shows up and you're like, wait a minute, who is this? Is that Okana? And now he's like wrapped up in something else. Like they could do that with any of the myriad kind of fun characters they had. Uh, like we yeah. mentioned before, like Mud, for instance, um, back in uh, the old uh, Berman Trek days. Yeah, I'm just like uh, frothing for Bruce Maddox to show up. Yeah. <laughs> There's also It's also too, because I, I feel like um, a lot of these, you know, character actors who play some of these characters for one episode, you know, aren't quite as like fondly remembered as, you know, the big movie stars of their era. And I always like when they kind of let them do another, you know, a victory lap, you know, for their great character they portrayed, but in a more updated modern setting. That's why I'm, I'm excited to see like, you know, Hugh and be like, here's yeah. Hugh in, in high definition, you know, like yeah. good for him. He deserves that, you know, yeah. same thing with all the old Klingon actors who got to come back on deep space nine. It was like, hell yeah. Like these guys like deserve that <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Although Lifetime I bet... achievement award. You're right. <laughs> uh, if you get a statue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> although I'm sure Hugh's thrilled that like, great. Now we've got HD and I've, you know, I've got wrinkles now and I don't have white pancake makeup to cover them up, but whatever. It's a chance uh, to play yeah. a, a cool character. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I hope that we see all that stuff and I would even uh, take a peek at uh, your old man wharf series. Uh, if that ever comes. Yes, <laughs> please. What he, what's he up to in the future? Mm. Well, we're talking the DS9 episode, The Sword of Kalos. It is the ninth episode of the fourth season. It first came out on November 20th of 1995. The teleplay for the episode is by Hans Beamler, who we've talked about before mm. on the show. Uh, he was a writer and producer on both TNG and DS9. And along with Iris Stephen Bear, was one of the chief architects of the Dominion War storyline on DS9. The story of the episode is by Richard Dennis. Richard Dennis was an executive story editor and a staff writer for TNG. He wrote the teleplay for the Booby Trap episode of TNG and was the writer of Deja Q on TNG. He also wrote, along with sort of Kalis, the episode Battle Lines for DS9. Um, that was a really weird one where they went to that planet in the Delta Quadrant with Kai Opaka for some reason, and then they crashed, and uh, like she died, but because of like the nanites on the planet, oh. like she was alive again, but she couldn't leave the planet. That's got Mike from Breaking Bad. Right, yeah. yeah. And they're all having like this uh, cyberpunk war or something. Yeah, it's just really weird. That's I have fun with that one. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> uh, Dennis was also an executive story consultant on the Serpico TV series way back in the late 70s. And he wrote and directed the 1992 film No Place to Hide starring Chris Christopherson. Mm. This episode was directed by some guy named LeVar Burton. 
Burton directed 29 <laughs> episodes in total. I didn't recognize him without the visor. Uh, he directed 29 <laughs> episodes in total among the four Berman Trek series. And, of course, he originated the role of Jordy LaForge alongside Michael Dorn oh, in Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, that's who it is. And the star date for the episode is unknown, which is pretty typical of later DS9 episodes. Uh, they just kind of do what they do. But it t- takes place in the... Julian calendar year 2372. Your assignment, Gooey, if you can, is to give us a 25-word synopsis of the Sword of Kalesh. Ooh, okay. Worf, Jedzia, and uh, one of the old Klingons. I I always confuse them. (laughs) They're all Ks. Go on a a journey to recover the lost Sword of Kalesh, but they just can't seem to get along. (laughs) Why can't these guys get along? I love that you've got, uh, yeah, Kor, Koloth, and Kang. Uh, why isn't Worf's name Korf? Kor- yeah. <laughs> K- all K's. Yeah, that, that was the naming convention that they, I guess they ran out of them or something. And Kalesh, of course, and uh, of course the bad guy is Molor, and Worf's dad is Moch. So maybe the bad guy's name start with M, and the good guys start mm. with K. What's that oh, with Worf? <laughs> I was going to say maybe this is like a Mario Wario situation, but <laughs> that doesn't quite work. Lieutenant Waluigi, yeah. <laughs> Warfio. <laughs> well, here's some interesting facts from the memory banks about this episode. Uh, this episode represents to date the last episode in the Worf versus Duras arc, which began with the TNG episode Sins of the Father, and presumably, you'd think, ended with the deaths of Lursa and Bator in Star Trek Generations. But nope, here comes Tural, son of Duras. <laughs> yeah, maybe that that gives sort of credence to, or like maybe the idea that like this that that element of that that thread of that storyline is sort of just like a it is kind of just like a little a period on the end of it. It's not necessarily earth shattering, but it is just like some you know here's some lingering stuff happening still. Right. And this is earlier. This is in the fourth season. So let's say that Terrell, uh, he doesn't like uh, get Worf excommunicated again. But let's say that, you know, the Dominion War comes up and he uh, goes on to heroism. The Dominion War, he becomes a popular figure and he rises within the ranks and he's got the chancellorship within his reach. And with that power, he's able to push Worf out, make him kind of unpopular in the Klingon High Command. Now we've got our old man Worf set up. Oh, okay. So, so even even there, they've got some seeds there. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's always seeds in Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek yeah. is like a flower shop. I, yeah, I love that seeds. they could just pull pull you know to this in this episode, you know, and just have. It's a nice way to like kind of kick off Worf on Deep Space Nine, other than his, you know, inaugural episode. Right. Um, yeah. Make it happen. Come on. Uh, Spock helmet yes. and Old Man Warf. Spock helmet. Hashtag Spock helmet. <laughs> uh, the tri- titular tricked out sword of Kalis seen in the episode was initially sketched by concept illustrator John Eaves. Eaves has worked as an illustrator and designer for DS9, as well as Star Trek Enterprise, Discovery, and Picard, and eight of the Star Trek films as well, and he's created many of the ship designs seen in the films and on TV. Uh, But for this very special Batleth, he handed the job over to Dan Curry, who is a visual effects supervisor on TNG. He's also a visual effects supervisor for DS9, Voyager, and Enterprise, and was the creator of the original Batleth design. 
Uh, of course, mm. in the universe of Star Trek, the sort of Kalos was designed by Kalos the Unforgettable himself, created by dropping a lock of his hair into a river of lava from Kristok's summit and then cooling the burning lock in the Lake of Lusor. In order to give the sword an ancient and Baroque look, the prop department cast a brand new Batleth prop out of aluminum. Uh, they gave it leather handles uh, to give it sort of a more archaic look. And they etched uh, like a Damascus steel-like pattern into the sword. It's got that kind of texture to it. Mm-hmm. And they wrote uh, characters in the Klingon language uh, on, on the body of the sword as well. They Yeah, they uh, went the extra mile for this sword. Yeah, and it looks like a Batleth on steroids, kind of. Yeah, it's pretty cool. A Batleth similar to the Sword of Kalis, uh, which was probably the prop for this episode, is given to Balana Taurus by Captain Kolar in the Voyager episode Prophecy. Oh, nice. <laughs> and we see Cisco uh, touching up his goatee at the start of the episode with a blue crystal razor thing. Now, I have no idea how that works. <laughs> Or why it actually makes a razor noise, if it's like a future thing. <laughs> uh, but we've seen that prop before when it was used by Jordy to shave his beard in the TNG episode Code of Honor. Ooh, okay. Would you shave with this thing? Seems kind of kind of cool. It does it have a setting that gives you like cool stubble that's like in right now? Oh, I yeah. Would, Give me that I would want to go totally shadow. clean. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> at that like one day of growth. Uh, the prop was created by Trek senior production designer Rick Sternbach, who also designed the pad, uh, the actual station of DS9, and the USS Voyager. Uh, let's talk about the guest stars in this episode. Of course, uh, this episode stars Worf, played by Michael Dorn. Worf was added to the cast of DS9 at the start of the fourth season, and this episode was conceived specifically to showcase Worf as a character. Dorn played Worf for seven seasons of TNG, uh, four TNG movies, as well as four seasons of DS9, an episode of Family Guy, and an episode of Webster. <laughs> He also played oh, the Webster. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> Web Trek. He also played Colonel Worf, the grandfather of Worf, son of Moog, in Star Trek VI. And Dorn has directed three DS9 episodes and one Enterprise episode. His first film role was in Rocky, where he appeared uncredited as one of Rocky's bodyguards. He went oh, on to no a kidding. Yeah, I, I don't even remember that, but I'm sure he's a big guy. I can I can believe that. He went on to a regular role in the TV series Chips, uh, and he's put his sonorous voice to work as a voiceover artist, both in advertising and in cartoons. Many will remember his work on Gargoyles, as well as the Neutrogena T-Gel commercials. He's also an accomplished pilot. Uh, I've just, yeah, this is really interesting. Uh, he's a pilot, having flown with the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds. And wow. after being diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2010, he became a vegan. Oh, sweet. Shout out. <laughs> oh, you're, are you vegan? Uh, I'm vegetarian now. I, I was vegan for a long time, actually. Uh, no, like, meat or anything like that, but anything else is, is okay. I, actually, I eat vegan pretty often, but every, every once in a while, I, or pretty often, I will still have a couple of things of dairy, but I still, yeah. like, I, I have, like, almond milk and stuff like that pretty, pretty on the regular. We'll have to have you back for, uh, an episode about veganism in Star Trek, because you get the idea that... Uh, Riker says at one point that like, oh, we don't eat like animals anymore. And I don't know if that means like just Riker's a vegan or yeah. the, the replicated burned bird meat that they make from the replicator. Like they don't consider that they consider that veganism because that was never like alive. Like, what I think does he so. Mean yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But then every once in a while they're like, I, I got these special from, you know, like uh, I got these caviar or whatever from someplace or this <laughs> right. real egg, I, you yeah. know. I can't I can't fault them. 
And I don't think eating the heart of your enemy uh, counts against your veganism. Uh, no, absolutely not. You got to do. There's no tofu hearts in Klingon culture. <laughs> Klingons got to do what they got to do. I understand <laughs> right. that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kalis looks the other way when you do that. <laughs> uh, John Kolokos appears as Dahar Master Kor in this episode. Kolokos first appeared as Kor in the original series episode, Errand of Mercy, which was also the first appearance of the Klingons. He would reprise Kor for three episodes of DS9, Blood Oath, and Once More, Unto the Breach, as well as this episode. Kolokos was born in Canada, and he got his start on the stage, appearing in New York Theater and on stage at the Stratford Shakespeare Festival, where he played the title role in Stratford's first production of King Lear. Kolokos was a familiar face on TV in the 60s and 70s, often playing villains and often in sci-fi series. Aside from Kor, he also played the role of Count Baltar in the original Battlestar Galactica film and series. He appeared many times on other Desilu series as well, like Mission Impossible and Mannix, and he was the last person to be shot and killed on the TV series <laughs> Gunsmoke in the oh. last episode of his 20-year run. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, I've, I, I'm not familiar with him outside of Star Trek, but I do. I love him. So I'm guessing that means that you haven't seen the 1973 Canadian TV show, The Star Lost. I, I've i never heard of that, no. <laughs> do, 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 do. This is Star Lost Corner. Whenever I get a chance yeah. to bring up Star Lost, I have to. I'm Star already Lost, excited. <laughs> Star Lost is a TV show that was uh, designed and conceived of by uh, Harlan Ellison. But you'd never know oh. because like many things that Harlan Ellison has worked on, he got real mad and he stomped off and he made them put his pseudonym a cordwainer bird on it and when you see that you know that that's he's flipping the bird like he doesn't i don't yeah. I, I disown this what a grouch come on man he was but you know he had good he had good qualities too uh <laughs> the the star lost is about a generation ship uh, which was launched from earth a long time ago and the there's different environments on it and we center on this environment that is um like an Amish farm. These people think that they just live like on an Amish farm, basically uh, in the middle of nowhere. And Sterling Hayden is actually uh, in charge of this thing. And this mm -hmm. one guy played by Kier Delea from 2001, he knows that there's something else out there. And so he finds a way out of the farm. And of course he's on this amazing ship that he doesn't understand. Oh, and man. so every week he's going from habitat to habitat. And it's a perfect like setup for a sci-fi show because they're all like, this is the goofy one where we play games, and this is the one where it's all medieval England and stuff like that. Well, where can I watch this? Um, you so, can't. <laughs> it might no, be on okay. like a Region Three DVD or something like that. But yeah, all right. this sounds sweet. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to track this down. I can't remember where I got it from, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to hook you up. There we go. Okay. Colicos was also the voice of Apocalypse on the '90s X-Men cartoon series, and he had an educational. Oh. Yeah. I am familiar with his work. There you are. You do know his work. <laughs> and he had an educational program on Canadian TV called Prophecy with John Kolokos. Oh, okay. And he passed away in the year 2000 at the age of 71. R.I.P. Well, yeah, he had a great career, it sounds like. Yeah, and he is so good at this. Do you know what I mean? He's just like, yeah. he's so, I mean, they're you can really nail Klingon actors. Um, you see Klingon actors that are just like, I'm ah, just like, I'm a Klingon. I'm just doing my job or whatever. Uh, you know, I'm saying the lines, but then there's oh, yeah. guys that just get it. Like uh, Robert O'Reilly. You know, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the guy that plays Martok, who's a John Hertzler uh, and like mm. Kolokos just understands. Kolokos had a personal philosophy about acting, which was when all else fails, be enigmatic. 
Okay, yeah. He definitely lives by that in this so, role. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Rick Pasqualoni appears as Terrell, son of Duras. That role was previously played by actor J.D. Cullum in the TNG two-parter Redemption 1 and 2. This is one of Pasquale's first acting roles. He would go on to guest star on shows like Friends and NYPD Blue, and he also lends his voice to a lot of video games. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't, and, I'm not familiar with him, really, but he was all right. He was all yeah, right in this. Yeah, me either. I, well, I wonder how the uh, video game uh, sort of voice acting community works, because there's certain people who get the job and you just know, oh, I know that voice. I know who that is. Uh, and I wonder if like they like 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 your Troy Bakers or your Nolan North. Right. For example. Yeah. They're and just they, in every game. <laughs> yeah. Like, do they get like the right of first refusal on <laughs> like some of the roles? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a weird a weird world, because I guess like. Even someone like like this guy is probably in a ton of these same games, but I mean, I guess if your job is to be like random NPC number five, then well, I don't even know. I don't know who he's played, so I'm making assumptions. But you know, maybe you know the fact that we don't notice him, he's done his job. You know? Yeah, for sure. There's. It's always funny when you hear somebody who's really familiar, and maybe they've got like um, they've been in a lot of like cartoons, but they're not high up on the video game totem. So, you know, Nolan North or Troy Baker is the main guy, but then some other guy walks up and it's like, <laughs> and it's minute. Bender. That's that so and so. Yeah, right. <laughs> Bender or uh, Steve Bloom, who's the voice of uh, I think Wolverine uh, in cartoons mm. and also uh, other like anime dubs. Uh, often gets like these sort of the, some guard will come up and he's like, "Hey, what's going on?" It's like, "Whoa, Wolverine." <laughs> Yeah, it's like, or you go to the shop, the shopkeeper, and it's Mark Hamill for some yeah, reason. Right. Yeah, <laughs> what is he, what is he doing? <laughs> and uh, Tom Borga appears as Soto, the vampire-looking uh, alien in the uh, episode. Borga is a stunt actor and a coordinator who holds the record for the most appearances as a stunt actor in Trek. He got a start oh. on Star Trek: The Motion Picture in 1979, and he went all the way to the end of Enterprise in 2005. So, 26 years—that's a, wow. a nice career. Yeah, that's that's sweet. He's appeared in every series and has screen doubled for many of the series leads. And if you go to his memory alpha page, it's just an endless grid of all, uh, pictures of all the characters that he's played or the stunts that he's done. Wow. Okay. Sure. I've never heard of this guy, but that's I got to respect that. He's doing his job. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's uh, get into talking about the episode itself. Uh, If this were an episode of backtracking, I think that we'd be comparing this episode to uh, an Indiana Jones film, uh, maybe Mm -hmm. all of them. Uh, Specifically, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. uh, LeVar Burton actually described the sort of Kalos as the Holy Grail. Uh, okay. It, it also has a lot of connections, I think, to the 1948 film "The Treasure of the Sierra Madre." Oh, I've I've never actually seen that. Oh, it's a great uh, film. Yeah. yeah. I I mean I, of course, know it, but yeah, wow. And in that, some treasure hunters uh, are basically you know looking for this treasure, similar to our characters here, and the uh you know the 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 lust for wealth that that sort of um, boils in between them uh, leads to they kind of turn on each other. Okay, yeah, that yeah, that element of this episode felt uh you know, it's like I I I recognize this from other things. Uh, but I mean it was still pretty effective in this even though it was kind of not newer surprising of a trope, I guess. But I I liked it. Yeah, there something that I thought was interesting was as I was reading up on this, and I guess I'm kind of guilty of this too, but fans initially didn't like this episode. 
Apparently because they didn't understand what was going on with the sword. And ultimately... uh, Yeah, I can see that, actually. Ultimately, if you... uh, I received when Bear was being interviewed about it, and he said that, like, if you think about it and the way that it's connected to something like Sierra Madre or even Last Crusade, there isn't any power in the sword. It's just it's bringing out, like, the worst in these characters. And... I have to say, like, I've seen this a couple times, and just about every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, is the, the the sword is corrupting. It's like the ring, you know, it's like Sauron's ring or something like that. And no, apparently that's that's not what it is. Yeah, I always have that thought about it. I, it seems like almost what I, from what I thought was, like, too late, where I'm like, wait, has this been corrupting them the whole time? And then yeah, it, it doesn't come up. I, so I get it. I guess you could be kind of confused by that, but I, I kind of like that they... They kind of stick with their guns with it, you know? Yeah, I totally buy that. But at the same time, there's, you know, as I was thinking that, watching the episode, I'm like, oh, this opens so many doors. Like, if this was the weapon created by Kalos and, like, the one that he used to slay his enemies and form the Klingon Empire is is the entire Klingon way of life based on this lust for blood that the sword creates in you is just a plus three batleth of, of bloodlust uh is is their entire like traditions is it all based on the, the the warlike feelings the sword gives you no they're just being corrupted by their own personal opinions and feelings yeah <laughs> i can the, i mean the other I way seems more sci-fi too. doesn't it and yeah it's like, yeah and if it is just Worf, a guy who is an outcast and really believes in this and feels strongly and core a guy who Let's face it, he's 140-something years old, and he feels like he also is has been denied the glory that he uh, should should uh, that he's earned. Um, okay, so these guys are maybe not the right guys, but in the right person's hands, couldn't it be like an important artifact? Like, I remember Rightful right. Air. That Kalis clone, he seemed pretty cool. Like, he's pretty cool about things. Yeah, yeah. That one, they went with a kind of a corrupt solution that is... You know, morally objectionable in some ways, but like, you know, they make you believe in their convictions to go with it, you know? Yeah. Whereas this, they were just like, we can't trust them with the sword. No, I mean, if Gowron got his hands on it, it would be a disaster. Like, forget that. I get that. Yeah. But I I felt like, I don't know. It felt like sort of a cop out in a way, too. Yeah. Like, that's a great point that you bring up about the solution that they come up with where Worf, because of his... Uh, belief and his feeling of stewardship of the Klingon Empire agrees to this great lie that you know that this is Kalos returned and not not a clone. Um, which I think the, the Klingons have science and tricorders. Like, wouldn't they figure this out pretty quick? But nobody's challenged it yet. <laughs> but maybe this episode is kind of like an answer to that. In that, Worf isn't willing to to do that anymore. He's not willing to lie or to put things at risk. And he's like, I don't think people can handle this, so we'll just dump it. Yeah, I mean, well, he, where he almost like it's it's made unclear like whether or not he would have like killed for it. So I I can sort of see, you know, that being convincing enough. But uh I don't know. I wasn't fully sold on it, but it I was sold enough to kind of mildly enjoy most of the episode. It was it was a fun ride. Yeah, it, it's a really fun ride. Um the the sword uh, as an artifact of the Klingon people uh and, and like the things that the other things that are mentioned, like the emperor's crown or the the shroud or the grail of Kalis, they remind me of uh, something from the real world, the legendary three sacred treasures of Japan. 
Oh, I don't think I know about this. Uh, they're the imperial regalia, like what the emperor is presented with by the priesthood when they take the throne of Japan. And they consist of the mirror, uh, and I'm going to do my best, Yata no Kagami, the jewel Yasakani no Magatama, and the sword Kusanagi. And they represent the three primary virtues, uh, wisdom, benevolence, and valor, uh, respectively. Okay, okay. That's and they cool. were. Supp- yeah, they were supposedly given to the people by a legendary ancestor who was part divine, uh, like Kales. And it's interesting. They were, uh, they were historical artifacts. Uh, they were lost in the 12th century uh, when there was a civil war and they were thrown into the sea. Uh, and the jewel of the mirror were recovered, but the sword was reportedly, reportedly lost. Which reminds me a lot of the story of when Morath, uh, Kalos' brother, slew their father and threw his sword into the ocean and it was lost. Yeah, and that was, that was a great story, too. Yeah. And the uh, the treasures of Japan, they're supposedly now kept by the Japanese government, but the public hasn't like seen them in centuries. Like They never show them to anybody. We only have conjectural really? images of what they even look like. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that's wild. So it's like this same thing of like, it's really important that these things exist. Like, I suppose you could come out tomorrow and go, yeah, we don't, we don't have any of those things. Like, they don't, you know, we just, this is an empty box. Don't worry about it. It's the 21st century. Who cares? But they don't, you know, they've, they've kept these, the idea of these things around for, you know, 1200 years or, or whatever it is. And cause it's just so important to their beliefs and their way of life and the way they kind of see themselves. And that's, I think that's a great metaphor. And clearly like this episode and the idea of the sort of Kalos uh, wasn't, or even just the existence of Kalos himself, like was inspired by uh, something like that in real life. Yeah, yeah. So it is a good like follow up to that, but um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like uh, I guess when I do think about what happens if you even try to tell anyone in the Klingon Empire about it, I feel like yeah, a civil war does go down. You know, <laughs> a lot. Every, <laughs> it seems yeah. like we're always having civil war. Yeah. So maybe this is like I don't know. This is just a further indictment of Klingons <laughs> a little bit. Like, yeah. Like these guys will fight over anything. I'm often fascinated by the kind of parallels or connections between the way they depict Klingons and uh, Japanese and Chinese cultures historically. Okay, yeah, I can see that. I can see. I mean, that's. I think that's uh, obvious when they created them, right? Their like initial description of them sort of goes for that a little bit. Yeah, just the idea of you know the idea of like these warrior heroes, you know, that they tell stories about, which is a very um, familiar of the like the Chinese tradition or even the Japanese idea of um, Bushido and uh, having honor and whether people really had honor or not because there was a lot of civil wars and, and internecine conflict in medieval Japan but setting this thing up as hey hey stop fighting this thing we gotta have this honor and whether or not people follow it it's still <laughs> sort of is it's still placed as this thing that you should be like the the, the good Klingon is has honor. The good Klingon um, is not false and is heroic and uh, not a coward. Yeah, and I I love that they, I don't know, they almost immediately in Star Trek, like throw out that it's like those are necessarily real because you have Worf, who's like like you said, the only one who seems like sometimes striving <laughs> to like abide by that. Yeah. But then, but then it always surprises you, like. You know, other clans will follow these codes when they when they are, you know, not bothering them too much. I don't know. I love I love the the very human way they've handled this. It's it's not like uh, 
I don't know. I feel like in a maybe a lesser sci-fi show, like Klingons would be more one-dimensional, and they would have this. They like, would all follow. Yeah, they'd all follow those tenets, and you could just you know predict their behavior. Yeah, but it's all and it's on, on or on the flip side, like they would say they have them, but they're like constantly corrupt. But instead, like this <laughs> does like kind of show like how a lot of people are, where they you know they have these beliefs and values, but sometimes in like the world or the society they live in it's like they're constantly challenged so you know they don't always act in you know up to the way they say they should you know yeah you get you even get like characters who will appeal to people's sense of of honor and uh and and uprightness but themselves aren't practicing it Uh, one of my favorite maybe my favorite klingon is gowron oh Uh, yeah specifically or because of his portrayal but specifically because he is like the worst Klingon, but at the same time, he's always, he's the perfect politician. You know, he's always appealing to these Klingon virtues, even at the same time making deals. And he's like, Hey, what's up Picard? Let's do this. And he's going behind people's backs. And, <laughs> right. And even like they're, they're doing okay on the war. And he's got this great guy, Martok, who's this general, but people really like Martok. And he's like, I got to get rid of this guy. There's <laughs> no, cause I, what what I would do if I was him would be kill me. So this guy's got to go. Right. Yeah. 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 He's got he's got a lot of um, depth. I feel like as a, as a character because it feel it does feel very like again it doesn't feel like oh he's just so so corrupt he he he's just <laughs> he's he's not just like a blatant hypocrite even though he is like that's not his character it's it it is that he is like just like a you know, savvy politician, I guess. Yeah, he wants glory for the Empire, but, you know, he's, he wants to make sure he's number one, too. Yeah, it does seem like he believes in that in some ways, but yeah. He's going to do it his way. Yeah. Uh, there's a YouTube video I saw uh, that's from the intro from the video game Klingon Honor Guard. <laughs> yes, which yes. Which came out in 1998, and we were talking earlier about these video games and all this extra material that somebody has consumed all of it, but I'll I'll never be able to get to it all. Uh, And this video gives like a quick history of uh, Klingon prehistory, and it tells the story of how Kalish uh, and the Honorable Three, Ogot, Kaunas, and Tokar, uh, overthrew Molor. And the three Honorable uh, Klingons uh, swore an oath of duty to Kalish, and they threw their daggers on the ground. And the three daggers are replicated in the symbol of the Empire, uh, which represents the three virtues of Klingon society, strength, duty, and sacrifice. I thought that was really cool. That is, yeah, that is awesome. I love that someone made that for this game that is, I'm going to guess it's terrible, but as, <laughs> not the writing, but you know, I, I don't have high hopes for a 90s. I don't know, first person shooter in 98, like that's the, that was like the perfect, you know, time for first person shooters. Yeah, not this, <laughs> not I feel convinced. like not this one. I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch a Let's Play after this though and see what's up with it. There's it blew me away there's so many klingon games and like the extent of the production on them i've never heard of crazy. one of them it's yeah. crazy well they were a while ago i mean there's yeah. one called, i think it's called armada i can't i'm not sure and they basically use all the klingon actors from star trek 6 so you're christopher Plummer. you just want to go do some more shakespeare or something and they're like hold up we got to do two <laughs> hours of fmv sequences of you talking to david warner or whatever like all these amazing actors are doing this this crappy. That's uh, crazy. Video game. Yeah. yeah, I have a I have a Star Trek board game that has a video. <laughs> oh, element. oh yeah, 
with uh with Gowron in it. <laughs> yeah, Robert O'Reilly is he did so many of these things. Yeah, maybe I hope he, he's, he's got a really big house. <laughs> yeah, they can get him to do. He's he's a little different than Christopher Plummer, I guess. But yeah, no, no, he's Star Trek ride or die for life. I think he does the v, the VO for the uh, honor guard thing too. That awesome, awesome. I I would love to play a Klingon game, but uh, I just I feel like these probably aren't good. So I'm hoping ch- for that too. <laughs> I gotta check good old games and see if they've got any of these. Yes. Uh, there are a lot of caves in this episode. Caves, caves, caves. It's uh, <laughs> pretty classic. In the ori- yeah, it's classic Star Trek. In the original draft of the episode, there was even more caves. They wanted <laughs> to really seal the connection to Indiana Jones and adventure films. And there was a planned in that last part uh, after they get the sword and they're trying to get out. There was going to be like a running shootout with Terrell's forces uh, with booby traps going off and like floors collapsing. <laughs> oh, that would be sweet. And they couldn't do any uh. of it. Uh, yeah, too bad for uh, for Tom Morga. Because um, it would have taken like an extra day or two to shoot, and you know it's TV; they just they just couldn't do it. Yeah, Indiana Jones wasn't all caves, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they could have done. So- they would have done something that would have like reminded you of the boulder chasing him or, or something. Yeah, like that. has there ever been like a a train scene in Star Trek? A scene where it's like coming and somebody like jumps out of the way at the last second, or like people are running on top of a train. Or, oh, <laughs> you know, like Indiana Jones style. Like, you know, that would be cool. That would be cool because you don't see a lot of trains in Star Trek. Because I guess transporters. No, we just got one in in Solo. We got a Star Wars train, but I, yeah, I just think it would be it'd be too tough to do convincingly. I think. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, I guess that's a good point. There, I'm, there could be an Enterprise episode that I that I'm not recalling where they did something like that. Mm, they but might have trains in Enterprise, yeah. It would just be that like SNL sketch on top of a train, like you're doing a Hitchcock sketch or something, and it's like the blue screen just continually going by, and it probably wouldn't look very good. <laughs> I'll hold out hope for someday. <laughs> uh, Worf is uh, you are the, the biggest Worf fan. Uh, I'm I'm up yeah. there. I'm, I'm top ten probably. Um, I uh, I really like the fact that not only did this actor want to stick around for the whole time because he's got Neutrogena T-Gel money, like he doesn't need you. Uh, he stuck around, but also because he was there, the writers just noticed him eventually. You know, he does yeah. so he does so little for the first two or three years of TNG until they finally went, oh, no, we can do something with this guy. We've got this tie-in to all these fascinating uh, Klingon politic uh, episodes, uh, you know, that like guys like Rondi Moore uh, wrote out. And just, you know, you talked before about it's not interesting when you've got a character who's like, I like honor, and he does honor all the time. But Worf kind of is that, but it's also interesting because when you have a character like that, then you can just throw things at that character and see how they survive it. Like, will they continue to do those honorable things when just everything's going, falling apart? You know, your brothers, something's going on with him. Your, your spine is broken. Right. Like all those TNG episodes. And it always goes, it does always go, I feel like, different ways. It, it's not always like he believes this and then he's broken by the end or and he goes this way. Like, I don't know. He always has like interesting twists and turns that do make him feel... Like that, I just really connect with. Like, I feel like he's very, a very complex individual. You know, where sometimes he will go this way because he thinks it's the right thing, or sometimes he might, you know, go against that. And I, I like that. It's, 
you know, I feel like, again, a lesser show would just be like, hey, dipshit, your honor system is not as perfect <laughs> as you thought it would. And then he, yeah. by the end, he's like, oh, I guess I learned something today, you know? And it, also, it's the, this episode draws on a lot of previous, like, TNG episodes, like with, uh, Rightful Heir and uh, Redemption. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that Worf was kind of a, a kind of a training ground where you could put a character in a situation where they might make a mistake or they might have to agree to something that they don't want. And I don't know if this is a Roddenberry thing. Like we know that Roddenberry's adamant that like Star Trek characters or Federation characters are always good. They don't disagree with each other. Maybe because Worf was a Klingon, they were allowed to explore something that was a little less moral and he would have to make tough choices. Cause it seems like all of his choices are always, um, okay, we'll do this thing that will help the Empire, but I have to, like, accept excommunication. Um, I want to help my brother, but we have to, like, wipe his memory to do it. Like, all of his successes contain a lot of failure as well. Yeah, and I I do think, like, a lot of his choices sometimes, like, it's obviously intended, but it it does even meta-textually kind of fly in the face of, I guess, the morality play that TNG usually is. Like, you know, like even when they reprimand him, it still feels like they kind of got away with it a little bit. Like he murders someone in an episode and it's just like, they do, you know, say like tut tut, but then it, the episode kind of is by the end of it. Like, yeah, that guy, he should have gotten murdered, you know? (laughs) Yeah. One of my favorite DS9 episodes is, and I must love it so much because I can't remember the title. uh, It's the one where Worf and, and Dax have to go on this like secret mission and, Dax is uh, mortally wounded. They're in the jungle. And it comes down to he either can take her back to the shuttle and get her help or go ahead and complete the mission and maybe she'll be okay. And even she's saying, like, go, you know, do it. I've lived a long life. We've got to win this war. Like, I I want Mm. you to leave. And he leaves and he immediately comes back, takes her back to the shuttle, gets her help. And Cisco yells at him. Cisco's like, hey, but you got to do this mission, man. What? This is your job. This isn't just about you and your wife. Like this is the future of the Federation and you're not going to lead any more teams. Like we can't, I can't trust you anymore, even though you did the right thing. Yeah, that's, that's legit. I like, I like that they go, you know, they unravel some of these things a little bit, I guess in the, in the long term, it Star Trek has a lot of like weird baggage now, <laughs> Like, of <laughs> I do like, tell. <laughs> well, I th- I just mean as far as um what what does the show stand for? Like people saying, you know, people talk now about the newer shows like Star Trek. It's supposed to be this, you know, uh, utopian society where you know everything's great and it's other yeah. places that are bad. And that's clearly never been the been the case. But I, I I've always liked that idea. Um yeah. But then again, some of my favorite episodes are the ones that, you know, go against that. And I feel like war, like a lot of Worf storylines are, like you said, they, he even though he is Klingon, he's part of this Starfleet, you know, he's part of this society. And I don't know, I it's it's complicated. There's I just feel like there's a lot of, you know, back and forth, a lot of uh, dialogue in Star Trek with itself, obviously. Speaking of people in Starfleet, uh, apparently Starfleet officers can just say, uh, yeah, I got an insane quest I have to go on, so I might come back, I might get killed, uh, that just depends, so get somebody to fill in for me in the science lab. Oh, yeah, I was highly expecting this to be more of 
an issue, but all they had to do was just ask dad for the car. And then once they've got it, they're off. Yeah. Cisco had a very, uh, like the cool teacher vibe in that scene too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cool teachers, uh, shaving. Should we ask him about this? Yeah. You can hang out here during your lunch period and watch movies if you want. (laughs) Yeah. Cisco's turning the chair around, sitting down. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, I was once like you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just wonder, you know, we were talking about how the way that uh, Federation citizens and Starfleet officers have to act. And Dax, as the uh, the Klingon weeb in this situation, of course, Curzon was, you yeah. know, like, oh, I'm, I'm so into Klingon culture. And so it's passed that to Jedzia. I like how it's like, OK, she can kill people like when she's with Klingons. That's fine. Like normally yeah. she has to like, you know, behave herself and like, you know, go by the code of honor of Starfleet. But if she's on a blood oath, then she can do 20 things that Picard would be yelling at her for. Well, yeah. And that that episode, blood oath, like kicked open the door. Like it's like everyone now has to just deal with the fact that that she does that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> everyone will look at you all angry. But then like then next episode, you're like hanging out on the on the hollow suites or something, you know. There must be a lot of things like that in Federation culture where you just kind of go, oh, that's how they do things. And we have that now, like, you know, people from certain parts of the Middle East eat with their hands. And for like an American, that'd be like, can I get a fork? I don't want to eat with my hands. But it's just like cultural differences. But the weird thing about the Federation is that presumably, sure, there's a lot of different like aliens in the Federation, but they all presumably have a similar set of values uh, that come out of just the way society is or the Federation Charter or, or whatever. Uh, but then right over here, you've got Klingons who you're trying to be like friends with. You're trying to like be good neighbors with, but they're eating hearts and they're killing people they're having arguments with. And you have to just kind of go, okay, all right, that's, uh, that's right. the way they do it. That's how it is <laughs> in their family. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's always, there's always is, is this like hard barrier between federation and like klingon culture like you know you see other ones i guess maybe because klingons never like become part of the federation you know whereas you see like you know other other ones other cultures kind of have their differences but they kind of get more everyone kind of assimilates you know yeah yeah um that's something else i don't mean to just crap on like picard all day but it's something else that kind of bothers me about (laughs) picard which is you know, we're going to dig into the Romulans, which is good, I think, because they've just been, like you said before, they kind of pop up in these little episodes every now and then. But uh, we're now we're really digging into their society and it's like everything is secrets. You have a f- fake door, you know, in your house. That's not your real door. And nobody knows your real name. And I never thought that the Romulans were I just thought they were like skilled at international diplomacy and espionage. I never thought that they're like secrets were baked into their culture so so much yeah well there are eight secret letters in the alphabet that only certain people know when they said i like when they said that uh secret police is like a um redundant or whatever yeah right it felt like they were almost like turning to the camera and being like this is Uh here's a retcon (laughs) that we've done for you you know like yeah yeah because yeah but i guess i guess they were just kind of like what's a what's a more unique angle we can go at from the Romulans other than you know militaristic bad guys? Yeah, um, and they've got uh, secrets is what they landed on. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and yeah. a spitting acid. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> 
I'm I'm like, okay with it just because I I don't know I didn't have anything in my mind of what the Romulans should be like except for maybe how they are in a uh, Balance of Terror because I like I uh, they look cool. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're all really like do. Roman and <laughs> maybe they should have right. leaned hard into that, which has been totally dropped. I guess we haven't gone anywhere Romulan proper yet, but uh, Picard's two uh, friends who who you know work on his. Uh, his vineyard just dressed like you know people that will work in a vineyard they're like scottish um, too right <laughs> so yeah or like... something like that yeah but we haven't seen like anybody in robes yet or like you know we haven't seen the the rock the roman thing really be pushed so maybe they're they've dropped that they grew out they grew out of that you know once your plant or your sun blows up you, you forget about the roman crap uh pe- people in italy now aren't you know walking around with robes <laughs> on yeah but they did it for so long though. yeah <laughs> Yeah, they loved robes. Bring the helmets back. <laughs> Bring the <laughs> dumb helmets back. Um, what'd you think of their solution at the end? Uh, apparently, Core can't be trusted with it. Worf can't be trusted mm-hmm. with it. And if we can't be trusted, nobody can. So just dump it. It felt sometimes like some Star Trek episodes do, where it just felt like they cut to the chase a little bit and was like, here's the end. Like, I, w- I wasn't necessarily sold on that that was the best solution not that they presented an obvious alternative but it was just kind of like i don't know it was more stylish than it was like you know emotionally resonant it just yeah. looked cool seeing the sword float around in space <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh yeah somebody's gonna uh get a batleth in the hull uh someday uh if uh, conditions are right flying through space i um uh, i guess I don't know. I guess that's the right thing to do, especially if you're following the Indiana Jones plan, right? This is the um, hide the Ark in the warehouse or, you know, let the cup just drop, you know, into an abyss because it's uh, no no one man should have it. Mm -hmm. I just I I didn't believe that that by the end of it, they weren't incapable of at least overcoming it enough (laughs) to to not not to use it or anything, but to like be like okay well we can't we can't give it to Gauron or Kales or whatever you know we can't give it to them but like it is an important thing to our history maybe we should like toss hold it. on hold on hold on to it somewhere <laughs> yeah, toss it yeah give it to uh give it to Quark or something like that have him put it in his vault <laughs> or yeah something like that let let Cisco I feel like Cisco could hold on to it you know sure yeah he could be trusted with it don't if it tell only, anybody. Right. If it only tempts Klingons. Yeah. I. It's a weird, like, short-sighted thing, I think, for people like Iris Stephen Bear, who, let's face it, I don't want to be talked down to, but if your intention was that it's just it's just the, 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 the strivings of their heart and the temptation of, you know, being accepted into Klingon society that makes them act this way, I still feel like there was rays coming out of it. You know, <laughs> it's just they act so strange and, and act so weird uh, yeah. and extreme that okay yeah it didn't there that's why i felt like i had i had like considered that element like when it was too late because it felt so sudden you know yeah plus wouldn't it be cool wasn't my idea cool like what if the entire <laughs> klingon society was based on a lie just raised from a sword that was made from a meteorite or something like that i feel like this episode there's not enough time to get into that. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, there is enough time to talk about how 
Uh, I love that uh, Dax just stuns the two of them when they're just messing around. And she's like, all right, screw this. Just blast them. Yeah. This is how all violent conflicts should be resolved in the 24th century. Anytime anybody goes after somebody at a ball game or whatever, it's done. It doesn't leave any lasting damage. It immediately <laughs> incapacitates them. It's like pepper spray, but you don't need like milk to wash your eyes out. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's, I don't know, I guess you got to trust who, who you're giving the stunner to. <laughs> right. And of course we've got the, the fact that everybody in the Federation is, you know, she waited a long time. Like she's using those Federation ideals. Uh, and, but if she gets cranky cause she can't get any sleep, then yeah, blast. blast but Dax, Dax is trusty with it for sure. Uh, anything else that you can think of that you wanted to say about this episode? Um, I liked, I liked the, the, the stunt guy alien you were talking about just a random, yeah. random, yeah. Ra- random ass alien there, but it was a cool. mind reading vampire. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like when the fight breaks out and you're just like, Oh yeah, he's, He's just like this weird guy they got on their team. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was, like I said, some some of the things felt like, like I don't know, I feel like you could have um, held on to it, would have made it for a good plot element later on. But overall, it's still it's still pretty fun. And it doesn't like, you know, it doesn't like uh, disregard or like offend any me, you know, for for not doing anything right you know it's just like it's just there it's a it's a good time it's like hanging out with your bud yeah it's cool to have core come back and we see a little more of him and i also like the idea it sets up his his end in um whatever that episode i'm not doing good on episode titles today (laughs) but when he uh sacrifices himself to to save everybody you know we we get that we know that he loves telling the stories and he loves the idea of glory and honor like any Klingon, but we get that he is, he's getting up there and he's looking for a, a good exclamation point on this sentence. Yeah. Yeah. I like that his character, you know, it goes from just being, you know, just some, you know, bad guy of the week, essentially. And TOS to, you know, they give him, they give him a pretty good arc for, for considering what his character is. Yeah, and he doesn't want it to be, you know, and and Cor came along to be his his epitaph. Yeah, yeah. No, it's I like it. Well, let's talk My Space Dad could beat up your space dad. Mm. The last time you were on the show with Mary, uh you talked about I think you said Cisco was your favorite captain? I think so, yeah. That that's what I said at the time. Has it changed since then? Um I I've I think maybe just cuz I did a rewatch of TNG or like some of the important episodes I've like wavered back towards Picard a little bit more. Sure. Um, and I don't know. It's, it's hard to pick. I feel like the, for me, the trifecta of the first three captains is, is pretty, pretty solid. They all, they, they all have their own unique traits. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm back. I think I'm back on the Picard train. It, in watching TNG uh, recently, have you, has your opinion of it increased? Of TNG? Yeah. Uh yeah, well, you know what really happened was getting more into the Wharf character. I used to be uh-huh. I remember like the first time I went through it I I mean I still love all the characters, but uh it was like I was all about Data and my favorite okay. episodes were Data episodes and I don't know, I think going back to it after getting into like Deep Space 9 and and seeing some of the more complicated plots you know, Worf is the person who's really having those, I think, on TNG. And I don't know. I 
<laughs> that's that has been the big change for me was going through it was like you know i loved the wharf episodes and you know if it's like what's going on in this one oh it's like rikers on trial for something i'm like okay i don't care <laughs> <laughs> no no shade to riker but that, <sighs> that's been the big change for me it's getting into wharf i think riker's kind of boring <laughs> like i i think that jonathan Rakes is so charismatic and so game and when you start to when you hear stories by him or you read like behind the scenes stuff, you realize like how into this he was because he's a good yeah. looking guy. He's tall. He could have been on any TV show or just kind of bided his time on this weird sci fi show. But like he really got into it. So thanks to all that stuff, I wish they'd given him like better stories. And I think <laughs> that the problem is, is that if he's just mini Picard, there's not as much you can do. Yeah, I don't. I've I started to appreciate his specific role. I think I mentioned this on another podcast. How like even when he was directing stuff, he never forced himself into like a bigger <laughs> yeah. role. It was more yeah. like Picard got to go on the movie adventure in some of the movies, and Riker gets to like be captain basically. And right. He, yeah. He has just like kind of your more military thriller whatever action storyline and i i was like you know what that's a good that's a good lane for him you yeah know? i almost prefer that to episodes where he's like you know making fake holodeck ladies or you know something <laughs> like that i don't need your holographic women uh i like uh that sometimes you know on voyager you'll see robert duncan mcneil pop up uh and he's a fine director but it always seems like Tom Paris is like <laughs> always hanging around in the episodes that uh, his actor directs. So sure. yeah, it's it's nice that uh, Jonathan Frakes is like no no it's about the show. Yeah, he's my he might be my favorite uh, Trek actor director. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Now that we've reached the end of the show, you'll receive a promotion to the rank of full lieutenant. And let's see, uh, you're working as a barback. Uh, then you uh, were commissioned as an ambassador. And we talked about Enterprise the last time that you were on the show. Yeah. Have you watched any Enterprise recently? Mm, other than for backtracking, I have not. But <laughs> no, I want no, to. I'm, no I'm recreational Enterprise. That I got one back on board with their little Borg adventure. So I... People always wow me with, you know, you see social media posts and people are like, yeah, starting another rewatch, DS9, here we go. It's like, how many do you, how do you do that? It took me, it takes me years to get through an entire series. Yeah, I, I've watched Deep Space Nine once, and then, you know, right. I revisit the episodes that I'm like, oh, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> but it's then, on TV. <laughs> Enterprise is only four seasons, so if you were going to rewatch a series, like, that would be a good one to do. That, yeah, that's obvious. And, you know, I could get it's, that done in six months. It's a prequel, so it's, you know, you start right, yeah. chronologically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not too tough. A lot of people uh, rubbing oil on each other and having a good time. <laughs> Or it's disinfectant gel or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Classic, classic scene. <laughs> yeah. Classic sci-fi. Uh, Lieutenant Fame, thanks for joining me again to talk about Star Trek and the Star Trek universe. If people want to continue the conversation, and they can at at EISTPOD on Twitter and the Enterprising Individuals Facebook page, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Gooey Fame. And uh, I've got some podcasts that are linked there in my bio. So go check all of them out. What's coming up on uh, any one of those podcasts? Well, oh, what, well, we we just had a backtracking come out where we talked about uh, Darmok, and uh, if that was a uh, that's the most Star Trek episode of Star Trek 
you're not going to want to miss that. I you just it is. I mean, you just have to concede that. I think like when you think of Star Trek, people think of Darmok. Yeah, two guys. Uh, it's it's like pro wrestling. Two guys. <laughs> one leaves, you know. Right. <laughs> they enter the the squared canyon. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks again for joining me. Yeah, thanks. This is a lot of fun. We're signing off until the next mission. Hailing frequencies closed. Your Honor, a courtroom is a crucible. In it, we burn away irrelevances until we are left with a pure product, the truth, for all time. Oh, man, now, this is so intense. Data is on trial for his life. I know. This episode, The Measure of a Man, is based on the Supreme Court's Dred Scott decision of 1857. And every week on Backtracking, we take a look at the real-world events that inspired classic Star Trek episodes. Sorry. Who are you? <laughs> We're the hosts of Backtracking. I'm Caliban. You will both be taken to the brig and from there to the nearest star base, where you will answer charges for what you have done. And I'm Gooey Fame. This is not a game. This is life and death. You, you can follow us on Twitter. Backtracking is available wherever you listen to podcasts. You go f*** yourself. <laughs>